Welcome to Unplug with Annie. It's me, Annie, and I am back for another beautiful, intimate conversation with a fellow creative. I learn so much from these conversations, and above all, I leave feeling so inspired, and I hope, and my wish is that you feel the same. Even if you can't apply it to the thing that you're particularly doing, I still think there is something of extreme value that you can take away from these conversations. And ultimately, I hope that you like it enough to share it with people you love and continue to follow Unplug and support this channel. You can follow and stay updated on IG, Unplug with Annie, and also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is. Until the next conversation, I hope you enjoy this. Lots of love from me. Today's guest is Shahid Iqbal Khan. Shahid is an Office finalist and Olivia-nominated playwright. He's been part of BBC Writers' Room and Write to Play. His recent stage plays include Stardust at the Belgrade Theatre and Ten Nights at the Bush Theatre. He's also done significant radio work on community channels and BBC Radio 4. He is on attachment and under co-commission to Grey Eye and the Royal Court Theatre for the year of 2022. And he has been commissioned to write a play, which is very exciting. He also runs discussions about disability and dramaturgy at the Royal Court and mentors other writers at Grey Eye. Shahid, welcome to Unplug with Annie. Thank you so much for jumping on and talking to me. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm really curious about your journey because in all honesty, I don't know too much about how this all started for you and, um, you know, how the, 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 the writing, directing bug bit you essentially and, you know, what, what the journey has been like. And I'd love to get an insight into all of it. So if we could rewind and go back to the beginning and what is the earliest memory you have of, um, you know, was there that specific moment where you were like, this, this, is, this is what I want to do? I suppose it was maybe about, I would say about 15 years ago um, and I was doing monologues in my local drama workshop. Okay. Um, so I'm based in very in Greater Manchester. So uh, in the town centre there's this fantastic drama workshop uh, run by um, Carol Godby who's also like a, um, a casting agent and she started, she normally deals with um, children actors or actors who are under 18. For, as a one-off, she decided to start classes for adults. And um, I went along to those workshops where they did like improvs um, and workshop exercises, acting exercises. Along with that, there was what's called Lambda course. And that involved doing monologues from selected plays, mm -hmm. from plays such as uh, Ayub Khan Din's East is East, 
Willie Russell's uh, Educating Vita, various Alan, Alan Bennett plays, Alan Aikman plays, and Shakespeare and so on. Yeah. So I would get up and, and I would perform these lines and I would remember them. And it was just so nice to see these playwrights um, and learn more about them and the plays they've written. And actually around then, East is East had just come out as well. Uh, I'd taken off as a play and a film as well. So that that was really interesting to see. Well, actually, East is East came out like a while before that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, it was interesting to see the theatrical origin that it came from. Ah, so it was it wasn't a movie first. Yeah. It, came from theatre and yeah. that's where this voice began. So I think that's when it sort of sparked something in me. And well, I went to the drama workshop to act and to do improv and I loved that, you know, it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a burning desire to like, or to be an actor forever. Uh, I did a couple of Bollywood plays, um, but I think I felt more passionate about the idea of writing and being the one to to make something. As an actor, I felt I was waiting mm. for it to come to me, or that if I went on stage, I was always a Colin. Or, or or Tom or a Frank, you know. Yeah. Or, hmm, this, this isn't me. <laughs> but when I look back now, I think differently. Like, I think, wow, like a brown person went on stage and it didn't matter if he, if he was Frank or Colin or whatever. Mm. That's, that's big freedom, isn't it? Well, I think at that age, I my perspective was different. It was like, oh, they just want me to play these characters that I'm not, that I don't identify with. So I'm going to have to be the one to write something and put things out there. Mm. Because I'm happy to leave acting, but there's probably actors out there who do want to see different roles and different characters. Oh yeah. 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 Well, that I mean that's really interesting what you've just said because there's this idea of obviously I think it's um a bit contradictory in a sense that yes, you were allowed to do the Colin and the Frank in a sort of more school educational environment, but would it have been the case if you were on a West End stage or, you know, off the West End or, um, you know, would that would that have existed? And and I mean, that's that's one question. And also, how were you influenced by like an East is East? You said coming out. Was there other plays or other playwrights from South Asian origin that you identified with that? sort of inspired you or informed your work or at that time was it just like I'm not I'm not seeing that happening and uh, therefore I need to do that 
Interesting question. Um, I think Ayub Kandin was my gateway drug into to the the South Asian canon. Mm. But around that time, I was also aware of Hanif Qureshi. Yeah. And and his works, um, like My Beautiful Laundrette and The Buddha of Suburbia. Mm. But it's, it's, I think I've only in the past few years realised that he was a playwright before he was a screenwriter and novelist. So um, I think after Ayub Khan, after I got interested in Ayub Khan Din and his plays, um, I just got interested in the South Asian companies like Physical Production, mm. who I got to know when I auditioned for their uh, next play. Um, and then I got to know Samir Bamra, who made Precious Bazaar in the early noughties. Mm-hmm. Um, then Rifko as well at their production and Tamasha. So, yeah, it was important to see all the production companies and the work that they're doing. And then that gave me hope. So it wasn't like, oh, if I write something, I'm going to have to produce it myself. Yeah. Sort of like, well, there, surely there will be people out there who might produce it. Um, mm. But for me, I think a lot of support came from Samir Bamba. Okay, amazing. I mean, yeah, I I know Samir and I think he was one of the, I think I, I, I did audition for one of their plays once when I was super young, uh, sort of still, I think I was still in studying or I don't know. Um, when, but it it is it it does seem like such a tight, a small, a, a really small world, of course, in the industry. But even more so from a South Asian perspective, from the South Asian community perspective of you know writers and actors and directors. Um, so that that's amazing. That's great to hear that you know he was there as a support system as well. Yeah, because um, I acted in What You Fancy, which oh. was um, a Bollywood adaptation of Twelve Night. Yeah. Um, that was written by Omar Khan, mm-hmm. based on Shakespeare's original. And he, Samir, was the producer and his partner, Leila, was the director. Um, but I think it was around then that I mentioned, oh, I'm thinking of writing. Uh, so I don't think I would, that's too serious about it. It was just sort of a thing I was thinking about and just secretly wondering if it's something I can do. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Samia um, remembered that and um, and he was very encouraging. Um, so by the time I worked in his net play after that, I did comic couplings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was during the rehearsal there that I brought a net strat of my very first play that I was working on, like a scene. Um, and he, Samir, was the director, but he, he was very generous in the sense that he was happy to 
stop the rehearsals for like maybe a couple of hours and get the actors to just read this um, thing I've written and for me to hear it and how it sounded. Wow. So I took that back with me as an experience um, and encouragement to finish the play. Um, and it took me a long time because I was sort of figuring things out in terms of my day job and finances and stuff. So um, it took me about two or three years to get that finished. Um, and as soon as I finished it, well, I mean, Samir would occasionally check in to see where I am with the play. Uh, do I need any support or so on? Mm-hmm. Um, but I finished it and I told him that I finished it and I, I sent it to him. Um, it was just remarkable how quickly it was produced. Um, I think it was produced in within a, a year, I think within wow. nine months. Um, wow. it, it was on in Leicester and at the Attenborough Art Centre. The Smile of Despair, uh, I recalled, and it was on for two nights. That was my first ever play. Wow, wow. So essentially, he was like a mentor, if you if you really think about it. He kind of jumped on and, and saw whatever he saw in you, the, the potential, the talent, um, and, and supported you, which is so nice. But obviously, not everyone has that. But how important is it then to to really get a mentor when it comes to, you know, somebody who's maybe listening, thinking, you know, I, I want to write. I want to write for theatre or at least that's where I want to start. I want to be a playwright. Um, is, is finding a mentor one of those early things that you recommend someone doing? Yeah, definitely. I just spoke to, I, I did a class yesterday and I spoke to someone who's, who was asking me about finances and funding and how do you learn all that. Um, my instincts were to sort of say, hold on a sec, um, yeah. because she'd never written a play, not never produced anything. So hold on a sec, let's rewind back a bit. <laughs> Maybe discard the notion that everything has to be done by you, you know. Mm. Maybe I'm coming from a place of privilege in the sense that I have a day job that I can pay bills with. Right. Maybe it's different if you have to be a full-time freelancer. But if you have a day job and you're managing financially okay, I would say as a beginning, your absolute priority is to start building relationships. Mm-hmm. And you can do that by going to writing groups locally, or online, um, send email to theatre organisations, Yeah. attend workshops, get yeah. to know playwrights and producers, and 
and online as well. Email them on social media, contact them, message them. Um, and you'll you'll find someone that you click with. Yeah. And then you'll find more people gradually. Yeah. Because no man is an island. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that saying makes sense, but no one is. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do everything yourself. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Delegation is kind of integral isn't it with 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 anything I suppose but it's a skill at the end of the day and something that I think creatives do struggle with because we're not like necessarily born with that like business mind you know that's not something that we I I mean I know I I speak for myself as an actor like I wish it was just about me auditioning and just getting the work and that's it but there's there's so much else to it um yeah um, I, I think with writers as well, is there's a focus on commissions. Mm-hmm. I must get that commission and that will validate me as a writer. Yeah. It's not always about commission. It's about starting that relationship. Yeah. And um, continuing it, investing time in it. Discussions. Mm-hmm you'll get a lot out of those conversations because people have so much to share in terms of their knowledge and wisdom and their lived experiences. And you'll gradually absorb that. If you're meant to work together on something, on a production, if you're meant to have a commission, that will happen. It's true. It's true. So essentially it's about what you're saying is work work on the craft, essentially. And... And commit to it and be consistent. And I think now we're we're very lucky in terms of. I, I think a lot happened during the pandemic, which was obviously not very nice. But we've now become more aware of like the possibilities online, even with connecting and even being able to do this podcast. Even you know, like you said, online workshops. I think there's so many organizations now supporting new writers and um, not just yeah I I mean I I can't speak from the funding perspective but I know like if you want to get involved in community groups there seems to be like tons out there and social media has become huge as well right yeah it's so much easier to connect yeah with your fellow writer I feel like before the pandemic, there was pressure for people to travel to London. Maybe they saw that the only way to network with Mm -hmm. people, with influential theatre makers. I would argue that has reduced considerably. Wow. I think there's still a focus on London. Um, yeah. And people still see real life as real life. That's where the action happened. But the, there's so much leeway now. If a producer wants to meet you and is interested in your work, there's, there, there isn't the pressure of thinking, oh crap, should I buy a train ticket and travel to London? To have a chat with this person 
there's no excuse now. You can just go, well, shall we have a chat on Zoom then? Yeah. Get to know each other, see if we click or not. Yeah, a lot of pressure's on, on producers now, I suppose, because it's like no excuse. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about your work, because I, I mean, I became more aware of you after after going to the Bush Theatre to see 10 Nights. So firstly, a big congratulations, because I know that you were an Offie finalist um, for 10 Nights. So that that's brilliant. What an achievement. And I think the Bush is really championing clearly brilliant stories at the moment. I've seen some fantastic plays there. How did that process start specifically for 10 Nights in terms of developing this story and then to to that to that final stage, if you like, of getting it getting it on at the bush and in front of an audience for a proper run, um, casting for it. Just take us through the process a little bit of that. Yeah, um, so I did the Smile of Despair in Attenborough Arts Centre. Um, that was on for two nights. Um, so that was really important in terms of learning what a play is like, um, just to see it produced and on stage in front of the audience and how they react and what are the strengths and weaknesses of my own work. So after that, I sort of went into reflection mode and thought, actually, I need to work on my craft a bit more, a lot more. And part of that was by applying to uh, be on this writing programme, which was held by, um, which was run by Grey Eye Theatre. Mm-hmm. It poured right to play. And in this year, it, it was 2018, and Grey Eye Theatre often partners up with theatres across the UK. 2018 was more uh, a London focus year, and they had partner theatres up to five, I think. They were Soho, Talawa, Tamasha, Bush and Overhouse. Okay. So I got onto that programme. Um, I think my aim was to demystify London, mm. uh, mainly because I'm so Northern and Midland focused. I, I, all I knew was about London that it had a West End. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I thought, actually, I, there seems to be an off West End and 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 an off off West End, and I don't know anything about it. Yeah. So my aim for going on this writing program was to demystify that a little bit and get to know the London theatre scene. Um. So the year of program was about developing your writing skills and master classes. Um, and there were sort of set assignments in the year. So um, one assignment was to write a 15 minute monologue. And that would be chaired at a theatre um, with an audience. Mm-hmm. The next assignment was to write a 15 minute duologue. And similarly, that was also at one of the partner theatres with an audience, etc. 
then there was the end of the year assignment, which was to write a full play. <laughs> so to rewind back a bit, I my 15 minute monologue was based on my experience of doing itikaf um, in a mosque. Yeah. So that's how the 10 night kind of originated. Um, I did a 15 minute monologue about a guy who's who's in the mosque and is not sure about how he's feeling about this whole thing. Yeah. To be honest, I wasn't very sure about writing this because I felt like it's too specific. Okay. Um, so, 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 so the listeners, could you just just clarify and just explain what itikaf is, just in a sentence, essentially? It's basically a tradition of seclusion or separation uh, in the last ten nights of the holy month of Ramadan. So the Ramadan is about 29 or 30 days of fasting and praying. And in the last 10 nights, that kind of intensity kind of ramped up. It's yeah. said to be the most holy nights. And it's traditional for men and women to observe seclusion in these 10 nights uh, by fasting and praying and so on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I did that about, gosh, uh, 12 years ago. Wow, wow. So, um, and obviously it's a very specific world, isn't it, in the mosque? It's, you know, yes. what, what you do there is very specific. It's every day and the language is a bit different. It's very religion specific. Mm. So I couldn't avoid that in the monologue. So I just thought I just have to go with it. Um, and it was on at Soho Theatre. And I remember thinking, nobody's going to get this. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's going to understand. They're going to say, what the hell is this? Right. <laughs> but to my surprise, uh, the audience, the reaction was quite positive. Yeah. And I think it had it's to do with the character. So maybe they didn't understand some of the language or why he was there, but they connected strongly with the character because he's, he was sort of vulnerable mm. and how he, he was. So based on that reaction, I thought I should give him a chance. I should develop it into a whole play and see how that lands. Um, so so that's how Ten Nights started, basically. Um, I wrote the play and I submitted it to Grey Eye and, and all the partner theatres read it and they loved it. They thought, yeah, we want this play. Can we have it, please? <laughs> wow. And so how long was that process from that first inception of writing the monologue to you know you putting a show on how how long are we talking about if i didn't have to include the pandemic it would <laughs> been just under two years right okay the 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 15 minute piece april 2018 
and then it was programmed for March 2020. Eventually, it came on in October 2021. Yeah. So it took over three years. Wow. And I think I think that's worth digesting because I think in in the age that we're in, where we are exposed to everyone's highlights, there's this tendency to feel like on a daily basis, nothing is happening right in our in our line of work. Um, you've got sort of nothing to show for in the grind. Um, but something actually beautiful is materializing in, in all of it. And it does take a long time for things to actually just come to fruition, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right about day to day life. It can seem like nothing's happening. But I find it helpful to write um say I like every three months about what you've done in those three months and once you've written a list of the things you did and you step back and reflect on that list you'll think wow I've actually been quite busy I've accomplished these things yeah it's useful because we don't take a moment to digest what we have accomplished Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. It's kind of like a form of journaling. I think I have a tendency to do that once a year as like a new year is hitting just to remind myself of actually, yeah, all the little things which um, which make a difference. And you just feel, yeah, I suppose it is a way of self self validation as well, but just also reminding reminding yourself to be grateful for all the little and big things. Yeah, and reminding yourself that you are doing things, that you are. It's, it's about you, isn't it? You're, you're not sitting still as long as you're doing something. That's all that matters. You can't control the world. You can't control whether they'll commission you or cast you or whatever. You can only control yourself, right? So you can only do the thing within your capabilities yeah and that out into the world and then if nothing comes back that's fine if something yeah. that's also fine yeah I mean I think it's very um freeing when you reach that kind of point of being able to surrender it's, it's one of those things which is easier said than done but um yeah it's absolutely true. I love that. How how does it feel when you see your work being performed on stage by an actor? You know, when that that whole casting process is done and you're you're getting to see your shows. Um, what what does that feel like to you? Is there like how would you describe it? Um, I would say it's magical. Yeah, because it's it's been in your head for so long. And now it's on the stage. Um, but I would say that's also the point where, I mean, I love the term surrender, you just said. I think that's also the point where you surrender as a writer because it's no longer yours. It's it's the teams, it's everyone, it's the directors, the producers, it's the sound designers. It's the costume designers, um, and it's beautiful to see everyone 
doing something for the play and everyone feeling like they um, contributed to making this work. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so for me, it's like it's a process of letting go. Yes. And being open to everyone else's input. I, I don't think I'm a um, control freak. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it, once it's being rehearsed, it's it kind of not mine anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then once it's, um, once the press night is done, I feel like it's absolutely not mine now. It's yeah. everyone else's, everyone who watches the play people acting, uh, everyone who read the play text, it, there's, um, I just let it go now. And I think that that's the really magical thing about theatre, isn't it? Because um, I was just listening to, I'm obsessed with this, uh, this podcast called In the Envelope, where they interview a lot of brilliant actors um, and I get to really hear about their process and on specific projects they do. And there was a roundtable episode which just released, um, I, I think, a couple of days ago, which was it had Hugh Jackman and a few other actors because they've come off a Broadway show. And it was interesting because these actors do film and theatre, but yet quite a few of them, uh, you know, uh, united, agreed that when they're out of film, it's it, it's one thing. But when they're out of the practice of, of doing live performance in the theatre, they really feel it. There's, there's a difference. And there's something about theatre being incomplete without the audience which is magical so every day when there's a new audience come in it just the whole the whole thing changes because of an audience response so it's so give and take because of the live environment that um i think there's so much appreciation for theater do you do you do you think that you would like to to transfer over to screen as well and do a bit of screenwriting or adapt one of your plays for screen is that something that you would consider doing yeah um i would like to go to into screenwriting eventually yeah. I, i've written a short film i just wrote draft one which is like a terrible draft <laughs> to go back and rewrite and hone it um yeah it's different theatre and film because theatre is very instant yeah um I watched Lot of Beauty a few days ago yes and that was really interesting with the audience how how they respond uh in terms of laughter crying the thing they say as well like they can't help it but they just sort of speak back <laughs> to the play wow <laughs> and they Obviously, they don't say it out loud, but you can hear them muttering, um, and it feels like it's involuntary. And and I don't think film is quite like that. I'm, I've never been in a cinema. I mean, I'm sure it's probably like that in India and Pakistan, but at least in the UK, I ne I've never been in a cinema where someone has sort of 
shouting back at the screen or like <laughs> and down yeah so just just touching a little bit upon representation as well in this journey that you've had so far in your career have you noticed I know from an actor's perspective it's very different I know we're now seeing at least I am now seeing very evidently the shift of so many more South Asians being on stage as actors but also South Asians being so influential in in the theatre space um whether it's behind the scenes, even as writers, directors, um, or whether on stage as actors. But I remember when I was studying, I mean, when I was much younger, that that wasn't, it wasn't the case at all. And East is East is one of those shows that I think a lot of, you know, goodness gracious me, East is East, Bend It Like Beckham, these are the names that come into mind when thinking South Asian entertainment. Um, in fact, East of East recently came back to the national and, and it's interesting to see how it's, you know, it's still being done today and still being told and it's still relevant, of course. But there is so much, so much more than that. We've got so many more stories, you know, the culture is so rich and um, yeah, I was just wondering what your experience has been like or what your observation has been. Um, how much has it changed? Do you think a lot more needs to be done? Um, I think it's changing. So definitely. Like, for example, um, when Citizen Khan came out in the late noughties, I felt like there was a lot of pressure on that. Like it had to be perfect. It had to be, because it was so rare for the BBC to give a, a prime time sitcom slot yeah. over to a programme with brown characters. So the moment we had that, there was some appreciation, but I think there was also a backlash because you can't please everyone. So all of a sudden you've got this um, environment where people are going, yeah, but it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that, and that, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a lot riding on that programme's shoulders. Whereas with something like Mrs. Brown Boys, it, it's of a similar genre but it gets away with it because there isn't that burden of representation. It can just be whatever it wants to be. Right? So it's a bit more liberating for Missy Brown boys and their creators. Yeah. So fast forward to this year and we have Miss Marvel. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I feel like, yeah, they're, they're the burden of expectation. But I also feel like there's a bit more behind us now. There isn't. There is, there, with Citizen Khan, maybe they were just goodness gracious me. That's all there was before it. But now there's a bit more of a legacy behind us. We've got. Um, we are lady parts and yeah, man like Mubeen. Yeah, 
there've been like comedy shorts on BBC Three, uh, Rami, a uh, US show. Yeah. So, and there've been other films like Four Lions and Mogul Mowgli and Riz Ahmed has taken off, you know, the career really taken off. Oh. So I think, yeah, it's better than where we were at the time of Citizen Khan. Yeah. Um, but it could be better. Definitely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it, it, it's so, it's so exciting to, to see what you're doing and how you're contributing to this world as well. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what else is next for you and, and how that transpires. Um, there are a couple of questions that I like to ask each guest as well and just you know to end the conversation as well although there's so much that I could ask you but it would definitely take me much longer um (laughs) but um yeah I I mean I'd like to ask for you I know you spoke a little bit you touched upon the, the journaling and taking a moment to reflect and other than that are there certain things you do from a mental health perspective you know in terms of just essentially unplugging from the world I like to say but um, I think mental health now is being spoken about more there's a lot more awareness and I think the pandemic definitely brought a lot of challenges and and um, you know made everyone aware it brought a lot of things to the surface um, as people were isolated for a long time and especially I think us creatives as well being isolated is such a um yeah really really difficult for anyone for anyone so what what are some things that you do for your for your own peace of mind can't think of anything specific okay I think for me um I made a promise to myself that I will do whatever I can within my capability as a writer to write yeah, so so I because I made that promise to myself, everything I do is basically honoring myself. Yeah, amazing. So I don't depend on outcomes or or on an application being successful. As long as I've done it, then I'm at peace. And Every day I try and do something within my capability. So even if I'm really tired and I can't write, um, a five-minute thing on YouTube, just watching a talk about playwriting for five minutes, that's fine. And if that's all I can do for the day, that's fine. I don't beat myself up about not doing enough. So I think that's how I protect myself mental health energy wise. I don't put too much pressure on myself. Everything I do is always within what I can do. And if I can't do it, I'm very honest about it. And I, you know, negotiate deadlines or postpone or rearrange meetings. Yeah. So I think I always put myself first and and I always ask the question, 
Am I enjoying this? Am I getting something out of it? Yeah. So that for me, the key thing. And everything else is just ebb and flow from the world outside. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Thanks for sharing. Just because you you mentioned um, specific again, it just reminded me that another thing I do want to ask going back to 10 nights is you mentioned when you started that process that you didn't know if it would work because it was it was so specific. It was such a specific story. And that really makes me want to ask you um I mean, that's so interesting, I feel, in itself, because aren't all the stories actually quite very specific to to writers? Because it's essentially your world in a way which you write about and uh, you write about what you know and it does work. And um, for, for people thinking like, I just don't know what what I can write about. What would you say now in regards to specificity, if you if you like, like, you know, because essentially it seems to me that actually that's what it needs to be. Yeah, I've heard from people that something specific is what makes it universal. Yeah. So seeing the characters in that situation, the audience will always respond to what the characters are going through in terms of states and their journey. So I would say it's fine if it's specific. Um, And if somebody's struggling in terms of stories, definitely write what you know, that helped me. But don't take it too literally. (laughs) It's just more about getting to know the emotional map of your character. And we all have emotion, don't we? We all have feelings. Yeah. Being mindful and observant about how you feel and how the people in your life react to things and thinking about psychology, what makes people tick. This is what you need to know, really. And this is what you bring to the story so that it works even if it's very specific in a community or on a wider level like it works on a big budget adventure level big budget hollywood movie Mm. as long as you know the psychology and how people relate to each other i think that's what that's what it means to write what you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you just write about your background or your culture. Yeah. It's about what do you know about human behavior? Yeah, yeah. And I think, I, yeah, I think somewhere that's beautifully led to the last question because it is essentially about you, you your unique imprint um, that you're, you're, you know, you're adding to the story. So my, my last question would just be, what is that legacy that you'd like to leave behind? What is that imprint that you strive to make in your work or through your work or, you know, whether just as a human being, as Shahid um, or as, and, as, and or as a playwright um, through your work, what is that thing that you want to 
leave behind? <laughs> God, what a question. I know it's just, it's a heavy it's a heavy question. It, it <laughs> it's um yeah it definitely uh gets you reflecting. <laughs> oh gosh, um, I haven't really thought about what I would like to leave behind. Um, but uh, I would like to think that people felt that they could be authentic or have the freedom to tell whatever story they want to. Yeah. Because I think as brown creative, we're put into a box and sometimes it's like, no, you must tell these stories, these specific stories about your culture. Yeah. Uh, I I would hope that in my body of work, that become about more than that, that if someone could look at my body of work and say, well, he didn't just, he, he wasn't boxed in, he just wrote about whatever he wanted. Mm. So I think that's the legacy I would like to leave behind. <laughs> well that that's a pretty a pretty damn good legacy yeah um wow well it's been such a pleasure talking to you I'm gonna probably maybe in a couple of years we'll do a part two and 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 see what the journey's been like in between but it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for taking time out yeah um thank you for having me um maybe in part two I could interview you <laughs> I'd like to get to know you more and about your career. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. Hey, who knows? I think, yeah, there's a lot more in the bag, isn't there, to talk about. But um, yeah, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with everyone. Thank you. that's a wrap on another episode of Unplug with Annie. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation and I hope you come back for more. Come back soon because there's going to be a lot more episodes in store and I am so grateful for all your support. Thank you for listening once again. Until next time.